The Mets kept their slim playoff hopes alive, hanging by a thread in comeback fashion Wednesday, taking down the Phillies in a must-win game. We'll talk about what needs to happen for the Mets to make the playoffs and debate whether or not Jacob deGrom should make his final two starts with this hamstring injury. We'll also chat with a 1986 Mets World Series champion who was just coaching the team in Brooklyn at their alternate site a few weeks ago. It's Timmy Tuffle. All that and more next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you. Welcome to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York folks. That's the voice of former Met Nelson Figueroa. I'm his co-host, Jake Brown. Stop what you're doing right now. Go into Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and write a nice review. If you don't use Apple, find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter, unlike Figgy, what he does not do to me, at Jake Brown Radio at FiggyNY. I mean, that's a weekly mention. We need to do it every week until the eighth night of Hanukkah comes this off season, where you kind of have to follow me, or it would be you know sacrilegious if you didn't at that point, putting a lie against your faith or my Jewish faith. Um, <laughs> Tim Tuffle will join us in the second half of the show. But Figgy, just like last week, it's like they're hanging on by a thread. Conforto saves the day with that insane catch. Now it's called J.D. Davis. 877 runs now. J.D. Davis carried them on Wednesday night. And then Andres Jimenez, that's Zicopa Cabana, hits the go-ahead hit, and the bullpen gets the job done. Listen, Edwin Diaz, his ERA is down a 171. He strikes out three guys. He gave it the single. But for the most part, didn't put you too much into cardiac arrest, unlike Miguel Castro, who put a couple guys on. But again, they get out of it. Waka saves the day. They're still hanging there by a thread onto the playoffs, you know, on their playoff hopes, two and a half out, Figgy. But, you know, it took a big job by the bullpen, and we'll get into it in a second, and Jacob deGrom getting hurt. And it took some clutch hits to try and save their season Wednesday. That's what you always hope for, right? We kept saying, we kept saying that you can't rely on just two guys to carry the team. And, and even making some bad mistakes uh, Ramos dropping the ball and Dom missing that that ground ball those are the kinds of things that happen early on in a ball game and you can kind of sit back and go all right this just isn't our year and they didn't do that I love the approach from JD Davis he got to face Wheeler and remember it's different when you're on the team with somebody and watching them pitch and watching them you know dominate other hitters and then when you finally get in the box and you're facing them to me there's something that JD Davis has picked up in Wheeler's mechanics there's something that he's picked up where he's on these pitches now the first at bat that he had against him back at city field i remember he threw him like a 98 mile an hour two seamer just in on his hands buried it and he hit a little weak ground ball and then there was that inning where all of a sudden wheeler's cruising along and then bam four doubles in that same inning and you start saying okay there's there may be something that he's tipping there's a way he's holding his glove and it might have been just getting him you know from the windup into the stretch and then all of a sudden he's still doing the same thing but jd davis definitely picked up on it he's squaring balls up this is the kind of guy that you really root for because he gets an opportunity to play and i don't even care where he plays defensively right third base he's been much improved from last year and i would probably have to thank somebody like tim tuffle for working with him so much uh, you know getting him to really focus on fielding the ball being reactionary and throwing the ball he has such a strong arm he had the yips last year of making those shorter throws but this year he's been a lot better i don't care where that man is playing on the field you need his bat in the lineup because he is that kind of hitter that when you get through that lineup where you get through the tough part and you think you know the canoes and the confortos and the mcneils and the alonzo jd davis is just that guy that 
you can't you you let up you leave a pitch hanging just a little bit and he can go the other way with authority hits the ball over the field really a nice find uh, with all the the gruff we give Brody with all these trades that he made JD Davis has been a gem he's um, been his one prize possession I mean of all the moves he's made JD Davis you look at the you know they traded prospects for this guy this guy this guy this guy the one move where you traded prospects and it worked it was JD Davis who can now potentially be your option at third base next season which was a hole that they had yeah and that was one of those things that after David Wright left okay who's next up and they tried so many people at third base I, I want to say there had to be already seven third basemen that have tried to uh, go over to the hot corner since David Wright went down Jed Lowry tried for about seven at bats but his Mets career is already over as he you know <laughs> Luis Rojas said he has no idea how he's progressing and RIP uh, Jed Lowry's time in New York is done figgy yeah so you look at the future with with is really bright with JD Davis uh hopefully be able to keep him around for a long time and there's a young core to this team that you've got to be excited if you're a Mets fan. I, I can't remember the last time that you had five, six players, everyday players that are in that lineup that you're excited about. And then you get a gem like Jimenez who's pushing your you know superstar to be in Rosario. That's all we heard about was this guy was going to be the shortstop for the next 10 years. And he's kind of pushed him up by, on the wayside. And Jimenez has been just a breath of fresh air for this team because he does so many things well, including coming up in a big moment last night where I talked about it before. His at-bats, his presence is not of a rookie. It's not of a rookie in a big situation. And I don't care if there's fans in the park or not. Situation coming up like that and getting a big hit to take the lead, that's something that he can build on. And it just adds another element to his his game because you have that confidence when he's coming up later in the ball games that he's going to have a good at bat. And not only can you be happy about that, you can be happy about Mordecai, the Jewish God, Rosh Hashanah coming early because Uncle Stevie, Steve Cohen, he's here. You know, we dropped our show Monday and right after we're dropping it, the Steve Cohen news comes out and we'll get into the DeGrom stuff in, in a couple of minutes here, but this was the news that we missed out on immediately so we got to talk about it now. It's happening. If 23 owners approve and it may happen before November, they're saying now. But the Mets, you know, once the statement came out for the Mets, it was the greatest tweet in Mets history. Uh, the Sterling Partners have signed an agreement with Stephen Cohen, pursuant to which Mr. Cohen would purchase the New York Mets. The sale transaction is subject to the approval of the Major League Baseball Club owners. I am excited to have reached an agreement with the Wilpon and Katz families to purchase the New York Mets, said Mr. Cohen. Insert the gif of Vince McMahon or the Conor McGregor strut because the Jewish God is coming to town. The Mets have the two best Cohens on the planet. They got the best broadcaster in baseball, Jewish. They got the richest owner in baseball, Jewish. Slice up the challah bread, pour up the Manischewitz, because Shabbat's coming early this year, folks. Every week, you could celebrate him taking over the franchise. And, you know, Figgy, what this is going to mean is this. Money will be spent. There's no more coupons, you know, close down the advertisements and cutting out the coupons like your grandma does and brings to her local Walgreens because the Mets are not, you know, take away the Nordstrom rack. We're going straight to Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Prada, high-end stuff only with Steve Cohen because this is a new era. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for me and i'm feeling good oh boy so after you said all that how well do you know steve cohen and have you actually seen him own a baseball team before he was he, he was my rabbi at my bar mitzvah <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it by the way you're pumping him up listen i'm excited to to have an owner that has that kind of bank account and you 
imagine what you could do with his money. And we all do. And everybody's talking about it because it seems like, oh yeah, Real Muto, give him 200 million. It's not my money. Give, you know, We're going to get uh, George Springer to play center field, give him 200 million. I, I don't know as of yet because the last few owners who have come into baseball, and we even can look at the Marlins, they traded away their five all-stars, including two MVPs, traded them all away when new ownership came to town. And I know this is New York, but that was the Marlins and they did it down in Florida. Five all-stars, two MVPs with new ownership who had all the money that they could use to get players. You thought they were going to go the other way, right? What's to say he doesn't come in and says he wants to clean house. He wants to do something a little different. What would happen if he came in here and said, I got to get max dollars for Conforto. I got to dangle Conforto out there and see what I can get for him. See if I can get, uh, you know, starters. We need starters. So you're going to go out there. So instead of paying starters 25 million per, maybe I can get a trade right now, get a couple of young starters for Michael Conforto. What would happen? People would lose their minds. We don't know what he's going to do. It's great to imagine it. And I'm telling you now, I know I have this argument all the time with people. It's not that the Wilpons didn't spend. It's that they didn't get return on whenever they made an investment. They didn't get the return on the investment. The one guy, two guys maybe that they got return on their investment were for sure Beltron. They got every bit of their money worth in, in Beltron and Delgado, you know, played out the life of his contract. I, I think the, the hip injury uh, at the end curtailed it a little bit, but those guys were as solid as they came for the investments that were made. You look at Jason Bay and we go over this all the time. Jason Bay, you look at even Santana, uh, you know, he had the no hitter, but he didn't get to finish out that contract as well on, on the high note that he should have. Um, so I, it's not that they didn't spend, they, they, they didn't overspend. That's for sure. They didn't go out and, and say, Hey, let's just open it up and have a 300 million dollar. I had this argument with you last week. The Dodgers have had over a $300 million payroll, it seems, for the last five years. It hasn't won them a championship either, but they've tried. That's not for lack of trying. So what else could it be? Uh, you tell me they have a great manager in Dave Roberts, but if it's Oh, not, here I'm, we go again. You know, we, we fought about money, this last episode. The money, then what is it? But so, the Mets have never spent. You throw out these examples here and there, here and there. It needs to be a consistent every offseason you go get someone, and I think starting pitching we know, but throwing JT Real Mudo a billion dollars, I'm joking, not a billion dollars, but throwing him $25, $30 million a year and, and making that easy and still being able to address other issues. When the Mets throw out one big contract, they don't really address other issues unless it's Adrian Gonzalez at age 40 for half a million dollars. It's those kind of scrubs that you get on the back end of their careers. Stop getting guys at the back end of their careers. Get guys in the prime of the career so you want the ability to throw money at a George Springer and JT Realmuto and still be able to address other things and that's what Cohen does he'll go into that luxury tax threshold and you're right believe me I don't disagree with you money doesn't always buy happiness and rings but it's just been so long since the Mets put serious money into the team you know they did the Cespedes contract that was a fail they've had failed contracts and guys who maybe other teams wouldn't be willing to pay as much or guys who maybe didn't want to come to New York, but now it's a new dawn and a new day for Steve Cohen. Yeah, and, and that's what you're you're hoping for. You hope every agent is sitting there thinking the same thing. This guy's got the most money. New York is the biggest market. That's where we want to go because they're going to hopefully look at the team and say, I got a chance to be with a contender, a team that has that young nucleus, that young core. And if they get me, say Real Muto says, they, if I come along to help this pitching staff, they get a couple of starters there. Bam, we're in contention instantly, instantly in contention. If you just add that that one player and some starting pitching in the mix. So it, it, it will change, I think, that dynamic because with all the things 
things. If you just Google the Will Ponds, you see all the bad things that have come up, right? And so if you're a, a, a player who knows nothing about New York, you're free agent to be, you Google the Will Ponds to here, you would see all that stuff about the Mets. And you, you, would, you would see all that, all that about the Mets. You would see all those things. And then all of a sudden now you hear, oh, new ownership. And this guy is worth $13 billion. Now you're a little bit more enticed. And of course, your agent is, is going to be sitting there driving up the price as much as he can because he knows that the dollars will be spent. So it, it is a nice feeling. We don't know if it will happen as of yet. Yes, I, I like shopping with other people's money. If, if it doesn't happen, then we're all going to be very disappointed in everything I just said. I, you know, I just praised him like he literally was like, uh, that's like exactly a, a it. Jake. I and I think it. he no, will, because it. listen, he's a Mets fan. He's from Great Neck, which I love. I'm originally from Little Neck. So a guy that's right next door to me, you know, Marathon Parkway, you know, that's it, it makes you smile that you have a local guy. Because remember the Wilpons, I think they were Dodger fans. So while they were baseball fans. You know, they, they didn't really inject the life of the Mets into City Field. You, ha- you know, nothing against Jackie Robinson and that rotunda, but you would love it to be kind of like a Mets history kind of rotunda, and it was not. It's 2020, so, you know, curveballs come your way. And, you know, as we're recording this, had some tech issues. Figgy is now, first time, long time on the phone with us now is my co-host Nelson Figueroa on the road. Uh, you know, what can go wrong will go wrong. We're talking about the gracious of the Mets, and then my computer just said, screw you, Jake, Steve Cohen. Cohen's not going to spend money and your life is going to be miserable. But we are alive and well and finishing up this segment before we get to Tim Telfel and Figgy. Let's move on from Steve Cohen. We'll have a whole off season to get into that after this season and once that is officially approved. But Jacob DeGrom, he has a hamstring spasm last night, comes out after two innings, and God, were we scared, worried that it could be something super serious. He said he had the injury in Buffalo, Figgy, and now you're worried because he would be in line to pitch Monday and then Saturday two more times as the Mets trying to fight for the playoffs. What is your thoughts on DeGrom here? Uh, Do you think they should risk further injury and start him these last two or shut him down for the season? Well, it all depends on how the treatments go and his uh, therapy does for the next couple of days. The key is going to be says playing catch, he feels fine. Says running around, he feels fine. It's just off the mound and having that intensity. That's been the biggest thing for him is trying to push it the way he does uh, an actual gameplay. So um, it's going to be trial and error. Honestly, it'll maybe come down to warming up before the game on Monday. If he feels anything, then you might get a, a scratch in, of him not starting the game. And whoever, maybe Michael Walker, will have to take off the uh, the shirt and become Superman and try to fill his shoes or clinging on to, for dear life, that's for sure. And that's also another thing. If there's a reason for him to pitch, then he's going to pitch. But if it's just to kind of uh, finish out the season, no chance. He is fighting for that Cy Young, and I get it. You know, last night was unfortunate because it was several runs before he came out of that game, and it jumped his ERA up to now third place in uh, Cy Young uh, standings, or ERA standings, I should say. So that's a disappointment, and I know that's not how he would like to go out. So he's one of those guys who's a competitor. So I think he's going to give it a go as much as, you know, if the game's at 7.05 on Monday, he's going to be out there, you know, 6.55, trying to push it to the max to see if he can go. First time, long time. What kind of fan are you? Figgy responds with, <laughs> a Giants fan. Uh, 
Um, yeah, so I, I agree. I, I think, you know, the Cy Young race is irrelevant right now. You're right. If this team has something for, to play for, I, you know, I start him because if he was able to pitch through it, he's fine. He said that he came out at a good time. So that tells you that it was bothering him to the point where he's glad he was pulled because he's a guy who doesn't like to get pulled for any reason. So if, if he's getting pulled and he's a little bit concerned, that concerns you because usually he just brushes anything off. So, Figgy, I, I say, you know, trot him out there, see if he's okay. If it happens again, pull him early again. But right now it's kind of all hands on deck if this team wants to make the playoffs. And listen, it comes down to tonight against the Phillies. If they lose tonight, you know, it's pretty much a wrap. If they win this game, it's a brand-new kind of season. You're a game and a half out. They got a lot of teams in front of them here, you know, the Phillies. And the Giants are 500, but now the Rockies are in the race. You know, the Reds are on fire. They have won five in a row. They're there. The Cardinals are there. You know, Miami's three games over. So, you know, they got a lot of teams they got to chase here, but it comes down to winning tonight. DeGrom's concerning. Waka, like you said, would have to be Superman. He was last night in relief, but Waka has been disappointing all year. So now Waka, he's thinking, hey, maybe I could come back as a reliever for the Mets next season. That was his expected role if it was all hands on deck coming into the year as a normal year. So, Waka's role is going to be important, Figgy. And, you know, listen, DeGrom Cy Young is irrelevant. Sure, you'd love him to win it. There's a lot of competition with Freed and with you, Darvish. But, you know, a Cy Young in a 60-game season where you're talking 10 to 12 starts is just so irrelevant. You know, maybe his leash to Grom is short. Maybe he only goes four or five in these last two starts. But, God, do they need him if they're still alive. Yeah, without a doubt. That's the most important thing to him as well. I, I, I can tell you right now, that's what it, all he's really thinking about is how can I give my team a chance to win and get to the playoffs. It's uh, it, it would be really a disappointing year where you have all this offense and not able to make the playoffs. Jacob has never had the kind of offense uh, that this team has put up for him, especially in his start. I mean, he's seen a ton of runs, not that he needs it. You know, that's why I always keep saying it. I would rather spread out all those runs on the other starters, give those guys some extra help. We give the relievers a little bit more leeway because the Grom can do most things magically with just one a one-run lead. So I, I, I look forward for him to have some good treatments, good therapy. Hopefully he got pulled at the right time because we saw, uh, you know, with athletes always hamstrings are a big issue, but with pitchers, you know, people who think, oh, it's not his arm, it's okay. If it leads to him shortening up his stride just a bit and, you know, pulling off, it affects every, here we go, kinetic chain. The whole kinetic chain gets affected, and you don't want it to lead to something bigger. Uh, any, any kind of freak injury that might happen because of a leg injury, that would be a huge, huge disappointment and a long, long offseason for the New York Mets, especially with, as we said, Steve Cohen taking over. And if you have a hurt DeGrom coming into next year, then, you know, you really have to go out and get even more starting pitching help yeah that's what I worry if if you know if it, god forbid an ACL was torn or something and they lose him I mean next year I know he'll spend money but he's gonna have to buy five starters and I don't think there's that many good starters on the free agent market uh Mons turn off the phone line Mons turn my mic on turn off the phone line we gotta get to the guest we gotta get to the next guest uh the Mets will play the Mets will play the Phillies Lugo Nolo to be Peterson versus Freed Friday and then to be determined Saturday Sunday we might see Steven Matz make his return to the rotation, then the Rays, then the Nats. So Monday, we'll kind of know what the playoff picture's like if the Mets are dead or alive. I know we keep saying they're hanging by a thread, but Monday's podcast, that might be the swan song. We might actually know. Let's hope we're talking a pennant race in that final week here in Amazing But True. We shut off the phone line. We're going to the guest. Coming up next, it's 1986 World Series champion. It's Tuffle Shuffle time with Tim Tim Shuffle with Tim Tuffle. (laughs) 
Joining us now on Amazing But True is a 1986 Mets World Series champion infielder. He played six seasons in Queens at Shea Stadium. He went four for nine with a home run in the 86 World Series against the Red Sox. He was just a coach with the Mets a few weeks back at City Field and in Brooklyn at that alternate training site. He was a third base coach on the 2015 NL champion Mets. And I am currently pantsless doing the show, shaking my buttocks, doing the Tuffle Shuffle. It's Tim Tuffle <laughs> joining the show. Tim, Jake Brown, Figgy, welcome to Amazing But True. How are you, man? Hey, doing great, Jake. How are you guys doing? What's up, Figgy? We're hanging in there. What's going on, Tough? We're doing well. You're down in Florida. I know you were just in Brooklyn, but you know, by Coney Island, getting some Nathan's hot dogs, of course. And uh, you know, we're we I you know I usually do. It is so hot now. The weather's all over the place that I am. You know, Figgy loves to see that I am in boxers right now. Uh, no, he, he he only sees my top half, so he doesn't know what's going <laughs> on in the bottom half. But uh, welcome to the show, man. We're glad to have you. What was that experience like, kind of at the training site and at City Field, working with young players like David Peterson? and Andres Jimenez, who we're seeing, you know, play well right now for the Mets. Well, that's great. Um, you know, with, with the way the season went with the COVID and the uh, minor league system getting shut down, you know, the Mets and uh, Major League Baseball came out with the idea of, a, of an alternate training site and bringing some players in that would uh, that would help uh, the big league club if, if injury occurred. So uh, these were guys that were going to help the club in some way, in some fashion, along the way, under DC circumstances, whether the roster was 35 or 30 or 25 or whatever it was. You know, these guys are ready to go because, uh, you know, we played simulated games over there. Uh, bullpens were being thrown. Uh, guys were taking their ground balls, getting their outfield work, and getting instruction over there at, uh, at Brooklyn. So, you know, we try to keep them motivated, try to keep them uh, as real as possible. Uh, they even piped in some some uh, some noise, you know, during our practices just to get used to the, the whole environment at City Field. So it's, it's quite a different year, but, uh, you know, we made the, uh, the adjustment and uh, hopefully, you know, like you said, the Petersons and the, and the uh, you know, uh, Jimenez, they, they came ready to play and uh, they were ready to go. Hey, are there any other guys that you can talk to us about that you've seen working at the alternate site that look like they're ready to make that next jump? I like this one kid, uh, infielder, uh, Hager. He's, uh, he came over from another organization and, uh, I like his movements. I like, I like, uh, you know, he's got fast twitch. He can be a guy who can, you know, somebody goes down and you need that other utility player. He could be a guy that can do that. You know, there was a few good pitchers over there too, uh, you know, that we had come out of there that, that did a really nice job for, for the big league team and got, got called up and, and went into the bullpen and, and, uh, threw, threw some, uh, decent, decent games for the Mets. But, you know, for, for the most part, these are, these are journeyman player over the, uh, journeyman players at, at that alternate site. And, uh, you know, they're, they're the guys that, uh, been the 4A types or, are coming up and down, you know, like, like a used, you know, he, he came in and he, he, uh, he came in, came into our, uh, complex and, and ended up throwing real good, you know, and it had a dynamic sinker and, uh, you know, got some times in the big, got some time in the big leagues again. So it was kind of an eclectic site, you know, there was some young players and some older players there. Yeah, you, you didn't get to see Hughes, uh, run out of the bullpen like a madman, his specialty, uh, which, which I love about him. He just gets out there. He's ready to go. And he, you know, he moves the ball a lot. So he, he's been fun to watch out of the bullpen. He's a different guy. He's a different guy because he's, he's a guy that relies on a sinker and really, you don't see those guys very often anymore. You know, now the bullpens are set up with power guys. You know, they got to throw 95, 
but he's a deceptive guy, man. And you, you, you know, you don't pick up the ball very well. It gets on you. It has movement. Uh, th- those guys used to be the predominant guys in a bullpen in, in the uh, 80s and, and, and early 90s. And, uh, and now it's power, power, power. Tim, I am bald and have no hair left to pull out, but you have a little bit left to pull out watching some of the base running that's gone on. I know you didn't teach this at the alternate site, but the Mets base running has been a question mark here these last couple weeks, this last month in the shortened season. You know, what have you seen? Are these just mental errors? What's going on in the base pass? Yeah, sometimes it's, you know, the guys aren't locked in, you know, and, and they don't, it's focused. Like, I, I tell guys, you know, you don't even need really a third base coach. Uh, the only time that, that they really need a third base coach is, is that ball down the, the right field line when you're on first base going first to third or whatever, and you can't see behind you whether the guy cut it off or not. But, but most of it, you know, good base runners, they have instincts. They, they, they know the situation. They know, they know where the outfielders playing. They know where the infielders are playing, where the balls hit and what to do. Uh, that those aren't those aren't like coaching mistakes. A lot of times, it, the players got to take ownership of of their time on the base path and understand the situation. Understand who's what, what arm is in left field, what arm is in center, what arm is in right, and wh- what angle the ball hit. Does he throw left handed? Does he throw right handed? Those are easy decisions. You you kind of preset that before the pitch is even thrown. On um, you look around and you just see who's out there and what if you run some what ifs through your brain. So base running, you know. Like, like you're on second base and, and you get a ground ball in the, in the six hole at shortstop, which is like three steps to your, to the shortstop's, uh, third base side. And you're going, why is he running over to third? You know, I mean, there's, there's, that's just silly. That's just not, that's not being prepared. And your mind is somewhere else, whether, you know, you got on base because the guy made an error and you didn't get a hit. Now your mind's wandering. It's just focused. So base running, you know, you really got to stay on the guys. You got to stay focused. You got to stay engaged. You got to, as a coaching staff, you, you, you get in the, in the dugout and, and you remind them, remind them that, you know, base running is important. You give away outs on the bases. I mean, you work so hard to get on base. You can't give away outs. With it. You know, you have 27, you know, there's only so many outs in a game. So it's just uh it's just a focus issue yeah being part of that 86 team of course you know you always hear about the you know who the superstars were you know who those even the starting nine but the depth that that 86 team had to win that many games and to to me it wasn't just about the team itself it was almost that it was an attitude to that team explain to the, the listeners exactly what it was like to be a part of that team being that if you weren't an everyday guy making the most of those opportunities that you did get yeah, it's, it's it was one of those teams. I came over from Minnesota, so you know, getting traded over and walking into that locker room was something special. I mean, I was in uh, when I get when I got notified, I got I got traded. I was in a real estate class taking a class, and he said, "Oh, you got traded in New York," and I went, well, "Which one?" You know, <laughs> which New York team? So when I heard it was the Mets, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, you know, I walked in there. You know, Carter, Hernandez, Straw, Doc. You know, Doc just came off of you know, two solid years of just dominating baseball. And you kind of walk into that, you just kind of walk into that element with, you know, Mookie and, and uh, you, you realize what you have there, you know, you're Knight at third. I'm like, man, I watch these guys play, man. These guys can, can play. And, and uh, here I come in as a role player to, to fill in a role and be a part of something special. And uh, it's right place, right time. But also, you know, when, when you walk in there, there was the, 
it was it was no longer you know uh, we're just we're just here to to uh, you know to finish out the season. It was here to to win the NL East. You know we were trying to beat the St. Louis Cardinals who dominated uh, that division and you know no wild card, so you you, you had to have at least ninety something wins to get to, to get in the playoffs. So it was it was all about it was all about being loose but being professional between the lines. And, and being being red not to let your teammate down and, and really everybody had each other's back you know we were all different people we came from different cultures different you know different attitudes different uh, upbringings and different everything and, and then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're put into a, a locker room situation where you're all you're all pulling from the same rope and and, and and that was don't let the next guy down don't don't let your teammate down you know don't leave that guy on third base with one out you know get, get him in somehow. You know, we're not looking for a home run. We're looking for a sack fly. We're looking for a ground ball to short. We're looking. We're, we're not looking for you to strike out right now. We're looking for this is baseball. We what we want to execute, and and that's what it was. And 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 I think that's a that's a a little bit of a difference between uh, what we see in baseball now than what we saw back then. Is is uh is, is less about the, the the power and more about the execution of the the smaller things of the game. And you were a part-time player, but had a, you know, in your part-time and a four for nine in the world series against the Red Sox. How'd you stay ready? What was, you know, obviously the, the lineups were changing. You had Lenny in there some days, you in there some days, guys were switching and miss, you know, playing the matchups. What was it like kind of stay fresh and how were you able to have success in that short time? Well, it, it, you know what? That's a great question because it wasn't easy. Cause I just, uh, that was the first time in my career that I was put into a, a non-starter uh, role where I wasn't starting every day. You know, when I was in Minnesota, I played every day, all through the minor leagues, all through high school, college, every day. And uh, when you get into those role situations, you know, I had two years in the big leagues already, so I kind of, I kind of had a, 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 you know, a feeling uh, or, or knowledge of what it takes to be successful at the plate, um, and I was building upon that. I wasn't like, you know. Uh, a Hall of Fame numbers, but I, I was a professional hitter and I, I was figuring things out. But when I got into that role, man, to take three days off and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, by the way, you're hitting, uh, you're playing tomorrow, and then you're going to sit another day and then you're going to pinch it. Then you're, but that was the key thing, is, is the is the preparation, grabbing the extra BP pitchers and bringing them down to the cage and, and doing some simulated games down there and having them snap off sliders and, and, and whatever pitch they could possibly have. It was awesome, man. I, I had I had a guy who left-handed, and and I'd go down there, and he'd throw me BBP. But it was like a game situation, and I tried to stay sharp that way in between stars. But Davey did such a great job of getting us in game. He was a master at later later in the game that left-handed pitcher would come out of the pen. I would I would pinch hit. I would I would stay sharp, and and it wasn't an extended period of time where guys were sitting on the bench, and and he did that for everybody. You know, Kevin Mitchell, he did it for Danny Heath. You know, he get him games he'd get them at bats and keep them keep the pinch hitters fresh he was a master at that he, he did a really nice job that's why everybody loved playing for Davey because you know he took care of he knew he knew what it was to be a role player and how to take care of a role player as, as well as the starters give them a day off and a blow and Tim after that 86 season you know we had David Cohn on a few weeks ago who by the way butt dialed me the other day he leaves like a three minute voicemail and it's just like him and like kids screaming and I'm like I, I text him I'm like Day, I think you uh, butt dialed me and I was wondering why this voicemail is so long and it's just like his, you know he's making his kid laugh some something so uh, 
David, if you're listening to this, uh, ch- check your butt dial to make sure you're not dialing anyone more important than, than me, like Roger Clemens or someone. Uh, but in 87, Tim, you had your career best year, at least statistically. You had three, you hit 308, 14, and 61. And Coney said to us he saw a team when he came in there. He got there in 87 that was hungover, that they partied hard. You know, they were still, you know, there was the shortest offseason ever after winning a title. You know, clearly you weren't hit by that hangover. Maybe, you know, you were just didn't get hangovers, but you had your best year. You know, what was the reason that team didn't have success and didn't become a dynasty? Because there was so much talent. Yeah, we had we had a lot of talent. 86 was a tough year. You know, we had, uh, uh, you know, at the end of that year, they, a lot of stuff going on in the offseason. Yeah, guys, I think I think it is tough to go back to back. And, and uh, especially after you've won and you're drained and you end up, uh, we ended up getting a, a ton of injuries to our pitching staff that next year. And whatever the reason was, but we had a turnover in our pitching, and that, and that really, and we, and we still, we still had, I think, uh, 88 wins or something. You know, it was still a good year, but it wasn't, it wasn't the dominant year that we had the year before. But yeah, injuries, injury bugs hit us on the 87. Um, I think for me personally, I had a lot to prove. Uh, I knew I was a better, a better uh, hitter. I wasn't. Uh, I was seeing new, new, uh, new faces, new arms, new pitching for the first time, and uh, coming over to the National League. And I think '87, I, you know, I came out. I had something to prove, and plus, uh, I just got to see the same guys that I saw the year before. And uh, you know, and you just as as we have less a, a lot more scouting now and film and all that stuff, we had less of that back then. So it's it's really about you know kind of skinning your knee and then learning from it. And so '87 was kind of a year to uh, to uh, rebound from an, uh, an okay '86 in my estimation personally, but. As as a as a group, it was it was uh, fantastic. But uh, I, I really wanted to have a good year in '87 and rebound. Uh, I thought I thought I was a better player than than I showed in '86. And Tim, you do such outstanding work with the community as an ambassador for the team. I have constantly seen you, you know, at the stadium in the suites, uh, doing charity events. Uh, talk about your upcoming golf event that's coming up. Yeah, I got one. Uh, it's my 30th year this year and uh sweet and low is our main sponsor and they do it they do a tremendous job uh sponsoring us up we, we have a, a golf tournament up at tamarack country club in granite connecticut and uh we have about 100 golfers that come out every year different sponsors uh sponsor uh foursomes and they all come out and play it's a great time and uh, like i said we'll, we'll, i'll tell you the one story i have on that is uh the, the year i got traded to the padres i still had my golf tournament that year and lo and behold our tournament was on the day that the Padres flew in and had an off day in New York so I had both teams out at the golf tournament nice. <laughs> and and I'll never forget it Frank Cashin's in the cart and 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 we're sitting it, and we were all so thankful it rained that day on the fourth hole so it was we had too many golfers we had 36 bisons or something it was at, it, for an 18 hole golf course it was going to be a mess it was going to be a mess but it's uh, it, it's been an event that I've had for for a long time and, and it's been uh, very fruitful it goes to a, a charity that's near and dear to us, and it's uh, Fairfield Sports uh, Commission, and they do after-school program for kids up in uh, up in the uh, Connecticut area. So it's uh, it's a fun it's a fun day for all. Oh, absolutely! I know I'm looking forward to it. I've gone for the last several years, and it's been fun to take part in that. Mark Yusko is uh, all over it. He's been in contact with oh, me always. throughout throughout the whole year. You know, save the date, remember the date, remember your time. Yeah. So we're gonna have we'll, we'll a blast. With this whole COVID thing, you know, we're going to have it poolside this year. We're going to do uh, golf outside, of course, and then uh, the, pool, the poolside dining we're going to have. This year. So it's going to be a little different. 
but we're making the adjustment. Some shrimp and caviar being served, some escargot by this poolside, Tim? I think we're doing a clam bake. You know, Ooh. you know, this is what happened. They they tore down the clubhouse one year and they kept the, they asked us, Do you still want to have your golf tournament? And we said, Of course, we're gonna have the golf tournament. He goes, Well, let's do a clam bake out at the pool area. And I said, That's perfect. We'll do steak. And he brought in lobster and all this. And I'm like, and ever since then, we've had clam bake every year. So they stuck with me. I stuck with them. And it's been a good, it's been a really uh, nice working relationship. Figgy, he's getting me hungry talking about lobster and clam. Damn. <laughs> Notice Jake is really trying to get that invite right there. That's all he keeps doing is talking about When you throw the word lobster and steak at me, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll hide in the back and get, get my way in somehow. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely worth the uh, travel to get there. It's a great time the golf is a lot of fun too because everybody's really competitive i think i got traded for uh, jim lyrics last year straight up uh, from a mets yeah. a mets, a mets <laughs> foursome to a yankees foursome and uh the whole time he's laughed he's telling me he goes oh i, I guess that team doesn't want to win i said the only way that you're going to win is if you have an eraser on that pencil so you can change your score exactly. you winning. uh last thing for me last thing for me tim uh talk about being a kid who grew up in Connecticut, being able to now work with the organization for so many years here with the New York Mets. Well, it, it was a dream come true to get traded uh, from Minnesota to the New York Mets. And, you know, as, as you know, I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, 30 minutes from uh, City Field at that time, Chase, Chase Stadium. You know, my dad and my mom got to come to the game. It was unbelievable. For six years, they got to enjoy baseball. They got And, and plus, at the height of the Mets owning the city, um, it, it, it was like a dream come true to have you know, to grow up in the area, to be uh, representing, uh, you know, in Major League Baseball in, in, in basically almost the hometown of where you grew up. So it's uh, it, it was quite exciting to to, uh, to be a part of something like that. And, I, and I, you know what? And, it, and it's been a lifelong doing the ambassadorship now and, and being a part of the Mets organization for many, many years. It's just been a it's been a great run. It's been a great run, and it's been uh, it's been very good to uh, to my family and myself. Tim, quickly, we did a show obviously honoring the late Tom Seaver. Do you have any memories? You know, meeting Tom and working with Tom at all? Well, I have a memory. Yeah, we uh, so Tom on his on his when he was in his last uh, go round with the Mets and coming back in trying out with the Mets again. Uh, he looped around and and uh, he met us in Chicago, and uh, we were with the Cubs. Uh, playing, I mean, playing, playing against the Cubs, and and uh, so we all went out to dinner. For some reason, I got invited, and it was like seven of us went to this uh, Japanese restaurant. And Buddy Harrelson was one of the one of the guys at the table, and and uh, we started ordering food. And Tom started talking. You know, you know, Tom, Tom was a great communicator and just full of stories and and uh, big personality, as you guys all know and can carry a conversation and light up a room and and uh so he's talking and all that and buddy harrelson turns and he goes hey roomy and i went roomy i didn't know they were roommates they were roommates back when they were at the Mets, you know and and, and it was kind of like it was kind of like anti to us because we you know pro ball we didn't have roommates we just had we just had our own room and it was like one of those throwback moments and uh you could see that the 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 love that buddy and tom had for each other uh, to this day, you know, uh, when when we were sitting there at the restaurant to that day, I should say, and and uh, you know, it was uh, it was one of those fun fun memories of just uh, uh, being around Tom just for a short period of time. You know, that was when he said the greatest hitter he's ever seen was Barry Lyons because uh, I think he took him <laughs> he took him he took him deep in the in the in the that's practice right. game. That was his last. That's what he said. I now I know I need to retire. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Barry tells that so, story at Fantasy Camp all the time. I love that story. Oh, it, it's classic. It, it's a classic. But, uh, you know, he, he's bigger than life. He was bigger than life. And, and uh, you know, he was the franchise. And, and I'm so glad they're going to put up a statue of him. And it's well-deserved and well it should be because uh, he, he meant so much for the early Mets, uh, the Mets organization. Yeah, and it'll be, you know, well said, Tim. And it'll be put up under new ownership as – Uncle Stevie, who they're already calling him, Tim. I don't know if you know much about Steve Cohen, but it seems like Uncle Stevie's coming to town. Well, Uncle Stevie's a huge Met fan, and uh, I heard nothing but that uh, he wants to bring a winner to the city, and uh, he, he wants to uh, turn things around and get back on a winning way, and uh, I think everybody in the organization's for it, and the fans. I think uh, the new regime that's coming in, we, we, we don't know what's going to happen, but I'm sure he's going to make a splash. Uncle Stevie's coming in with the big bucks, $13 billion net worth. You know, he's worth more than, you know, our, I think our country combined, uh, so <laughs> I'm excited. Excited for Uncle Stevie and Tim. Hopefully you're back coaching next year. Hopefully life is back to normal and, you know, me, you, and Figgy could go bowling at Duffy's at spring training and do a show down there in March. There you go. There you go. That'd be great. That'd be super. Yeah, I'm ready to take the masks off and get back to normal. But, hey, we got to do what we got to do. Be safe, guys. Enjoy talking with you. And that says au revoir to episode 28 or the J.D. Davis or beef jerky Daniel Murphy or Bobby Jones episode of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Ah, he speaks French now. Thanks to you, Jake and Alex Camerata, for producing the show. Subscribe to Amazing But True wherever you get your podcasts. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars and write a nice review. We always appreciate your support. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm the bilingual Jake Brown. We return on Monday as we look back at what the Mets did against the Braves. And yes, look ahead to the final week of the regular season. It's all coming to an end. Enjoy the series. Talk to you all Monday. And as always, stay safe.